0: Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I thought I'd leave you with more of an encouraging message. I know those of you who, how many of you were there last night or this weekend just in general? Okay. There's a few of you that weren't around. so. So this morning's message will sort of overlap some of that, but I just wanted to leave you with an encouragement to to pursue the gift of prophecy, specifically, hearing God for yourself and for others. Um, And I wanted to just take a, this is not a comprehensive list, but just a few reasons for why God speaks and why God uh, prophesies through human beings um, and through us for others. And so I, I actually scrapped my whole sermon, and I, I wrote a brand new one this morning at the coffee shop. I don't know why. I was just like, I was kind of feeling it, so I just did it. Um, so that's what I'm going to cover. So I'm going to give you five basic reasons why God speaks. Sound good? Uh, I don't ever give five-point sermons. If you know me or my church, I usually just teach through the, uh, a passage of the Bible. And so whatever my points are is whatever the Bible is teaching in that moment in time. Um, but this morning, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. So uh, five reasons for why God speaks. Here we go. Here's the first one. To convict of sin and bring people into the faith. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 4. Uh, four. I always read a lot of scriptures, so you'll just have to forgive me as we go through this. But I promise it won't be near as technical as last night was. How many of you had a hard time following last night's teaching? It was a little bit... How many had to go, go back home and like start looking through the notes again going, okay, he said this. Is that what this says? Yeah. So this, you've heard this story. This is the woman at the well. So John chapter 4, verses 4 through 25 said, but Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, I love this. If you want to know that Jesus was fully human, right there. It says he was tired from the journey, which is just always nice to know that he was human just like us, yet he was also God unlike us. Like, both of those things are true. I don't know how it makes sense. At the end of the day, it always leaves you with a, an amount of mystery, but yet it's also true. It says, um, well, where was I? Tired from the journey. He sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, He said, If you had known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, Give me some water to drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and livestock. And Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. (laughs) I can imagine being that person and being like, either you're selling me some goods or give it to me now. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, right, you are when you say, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. No kidding. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say uh, the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But you people, uh, you, uh, you people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks people to be his worshipers. God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, this is an amazing thing. Jesus, she, she perceives that he's a prophet. Why? Because he told her things specific to her that also happened to be the sins that she had committed. And he exposed the sins in her heart. Do you know what she does when she leaves him? She goes back into town, and she tells everybody, come and meet the man who told me everything about my life. This is how it is with us. we experiencing something supernatural, and the fish just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You ever wonder why it was that when, um, when these two deacons out of the church of Jerusalem make their way over to Samaria, that all of the Samaritans believe so quickly? What had this woman done? She had already gone to tell them about the the Jewish Messiah. Come and meet the man who told me everything I had done. When we have prophecy happening in our churches, it opens wide the doors for evangelism. When you start prophesying in the public places to people, telling the secrets of their heart, things, bits of information, there is no way you could naturally know about them, what, is, what happens in those places when people come to faith? First Corinthians 14, 24 through 25 talks about the assembly, when you gather together on a Sunday morning just like this. He says, and he's talking about the difference between using the gift of tongues versus the gift of interpretation. And he mentions how tongues is a sign for the un- unbeliever, not a good sign but rather a sign of judgment. Because when an unbeliever hears somebody speaking in a strange tongue, they'll get freaked out. But then he says, but if unbelievers come into your church, or even people just uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit, and they hear prophecy, here's what happens. It says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or someone uninformed enters, he will be convicted by all. He will be called to be account by all. The secrets of his heart will be disclosed, and in this way he will fall on his face to the ground and worship God, declaring, God is really among you. Have any of you seen that happen in a church? Face plan evangelism? No? Well, what do you think happens when you start cultivating the gift of prophecy in a community where your community is it's so normal for, for the people of God to be prophetic? And unbelievers or people uninformed about gifts come into your church and that someone speaks to them and tells them secrets of their heart that they could not know. What do you think is going to happen? Luke 19, we see Jesus uh, preaching once again. He says, He entered into Jericho and was passing through it, and a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus. But being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. I love the details in this story. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. I just Everything about this just sounds exactly like what we would do. If you knew there was a miracle working prophet in the neighborhood, and it was always co- constantly followed by a huge crowd, what would you do? Especially if you were a tax collector who was known to be a sinner. I mean, tax collectors were, were notoriously hated by the Jewish people because it's like they were sort of serving Rome, who was their oppressor, and they would overtax and steal money. And so, of course, you didn't want to be in the crowd itself. You wanted to get slightly away so that you wouldn't have to see the look of shame on their face. right? so here he is, and he just wants to get a look at this guy, Jesus. He said, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I must stay at your house. How did he know his name? How did he know that? So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they complained. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, all or half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone anything, I am paying back four times as much. Now, I mean, this is what what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like saying, I have sinned against God, and I have sinned against you. I I am turning from that practice. I will never do that again. Not only that, but because my sin has harmed you, I will pay it back uh, restitution to make it right. But not only will I make it right, I will make it more than right by giving four times as much. And this is what repentance looks like for all of us when we truly are sorrowful over our sin we go to the person said i have wronged you i must make it right what can i do to make it right in fact i will do i will go beyond that to make it more than right this man who is a sinner this is what jesus says to him today's salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of abraham for the son of man came to seek and save that was lost so how did he how did this happen Jesus knew his name and was willing to sit down and have a meal with everybody else that nobody would even talk to, a man that everybody else wouldn't have talked to. I'll come eat at your house. Let's do this. Um, When I was still uh, young and learning about the gifts, um, I used to wait tables and and bartend at a restaurant down the street from the church where I would intern at. There's a restaurant in Texas called Snuffer's. Any of you ever been there before? Repent. (laughs) Man, it's good. Um, So uh, I I was about the end of my time there, and what I loved about working at a restaurant was I didn't, you know, if you stepped out in faith and they got angry with you and fired you, you could always find another job at another restaurant. Well, on one particular occasion, one of the other bartenders is asking me if I can cover his shift. I had some stuff going on. I said, no, I'm, I'm busy tonight. I said, but what, what's going on? He said, well, I, I broke my toe. You know the machine that they have in bars where they, they put the, the glass in the freezer and it gets all frothy, or like it gets frosted? Mm-hmm. He said, well, the, the manager, he, uh, the, the machine was making a sound, and so the manager said, kick it. as if that's gonna fix it. Uh, and so he kicked it and he broke his big toe. So, you know, you know, what I, you know what I noticed? A lot of you knew exactly what that machine was. How many bars have you guys been into? <laughs> uh, so anyway, he's telling me he broke his big toe. He's in a lot of pain. And I said, well, uh, I'd, I'd love to, to pray for you if you don't mind. He goes, nah, eh, that's all right. You know, Josh didn't seem too keen on the idea. It's like, I asked you to help by covering my shift and you offer to pray for me? No, thanks. And I said, no, no, seriously. Like, let me pray for you. Who knows? Maybe God could, could heal your toe. Uh, and he's like, nah, that's all right. I said, what do you have to lose? I'm like, okay, so I pray and nothing happens. Cool, we just move on, a little weird, no big deal. Or wouldn't you like the pain to go away? And I find this to be the case most often with people that are not religious. Uh, you know, they think that you're the problem when you come to them with something religious-like. And so what I try to do is remind them that the problem is not me for offering prayer. The problem is the pain you have in your foot. And at the end of the day, you've got nothing to lose by letting me pray for you. So he's like, yeah, all right, sure. I say, he's like, well, what do I do? I say, I right, just grab a seat. I'll come around and and I'll pray for you. So he comes out from the bar and I go to the other side of the restaurant and, and I just put my hand on his foot and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I said, how do you feel? He goes, Better. I'm not going to lie, dude. You're really freaking me out. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I get that sometimes. So the next day, um, I show up to to work, and Josh is there, but every time I come anywhere near him, he would walk the other way, and he refused to make eye contact with me. And so I'm like, like, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, I guess I really did freak him out. And for two weeks, this continues until finally uh, um, this other guy, had broken his hand and had to get time off. And so he's there getting his shifts covered. And so again, I'm like, well, I can't cover your shift. I'm a little bit busy, but I'd love to pray for your, your hand if you don't mind. And he's like, nah, that's okay. And then I hear this voice around the corner go, no, seriously, dude, you should let him pray for you. <laughs> and it's Josh. And he goes... Uh, man, my toe was all black and blue, and he prayed for it, and it was completely better. <laughs> so you should let him pray. And, uh, and and the guy's like, oh, okay. And, and so anyway, um, Josh is, is still agnostic, right? He, he's really funny because he's like, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but I believe in divine healing because uh, he, his toe was healed. Uh, and it's been cool because we've stayed friends. But uh, fast forward, I, I start teaching mathematics at a local public school, and I come back into the restaurant with a lot of my, my men from my men's group, and a lot of who want to grow in the gifts. And so we would go back into the restaurant on occasion, and there was always newer employees. Restaurants have a lot of turnover. So I'm there uh, ordering some food, and the waitress walks up to me, and I, as soon as I look at her, the Lord drops something in my, my mind. And I said, um, hi, I'm Michael. What's your name? She tells me her name. I said, um, are you in school right now to be an elementary school teacher? She goes, Yeah. How do you know that? I said, Well, God told me. Uh, he wants you to know you're going to be a great teacher. I keep pursuing this. Don't don't stop. She goes, Thank you. And she's just like, kind of walks away like in a daze. And she goes back to the the bar and she's talking to jo- Josh. And she goes, you're, you're never going to believe what just happened. And she's telling him about it. And he's kind of peeking his head over and looking at me. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Mike. He healed my toe. <laughs> this is the nature of what prophecy can look like in a public place. Josh may not have come to Christ yet. But I'll tell you what, the next time he's in a hard position, pain, suffering, death is on his door, what do you think he's going to remember? And that's the nature of what this gift can do. It can open up the doors for evangelism. It reminds them that there's a God in heaven who knows them, knows their name, and cares about them, just like he knew the name of Zacchaeus. Um, I was at a, a conference in 2019, and uh, I get this word. I can't remember what the word, all the details of it, but I got the, the, the name of someone uh, somebody was at this conference. Tell me your name again, I forget already. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Jessica, you were there when this happened. I got the name of this man. I said, you, you have suffered a stroke, and the entire left side of your body is now paralyzed, uh, and I feel like the Lord wants to heal you. Where, where are you? Well, nobody responds, and so I'm up there again in front of all these pastors looking like an idiot. Um, better to be a fool for Christ than just a fool. Uh, <laughs> So, I'm, I, you know, nobody responds. Well, this man, young man comes up to me and he says, hey, that's the name of my father, and he is in a hospital now, and he's had a stroke, and the entire side of his body is paralyzed. Do you think we could pray for him over the phone? I said, yes, of course. And I've seen this happen a number of times where the person may not be in the room, but somebody knows that person, and we get them on the phone, and we've seen healings. And I kind of wonder if maybe the Lord is giving me words for people that are not in the room to protect me from any kind of accusation of he's looking up information, you know, and that kind of stuff. So um, we get him on the phone, we pray for him, and the Lord completely heals him. Now, here's the beautiful thing. A month later, this son uh, gets a hold of me. He says not only was he healed, but when he went to the hospital to meet with his dad, his dad gave his life to Jesus. Wouldn't you like to see that stuff happen? This is what happens when we cultivate a gift of prophecy. I don't see this stuff all the time, but I'll tell you what, just seeing a few times is so much better than never seeing it, don't you think? Um, another reason God gives this gift, this is the second reason, to build faith and courage and comfort. We see that very explicitly spelled out in 1 Corinthians 14.3, but the one who prophesies speaks to men to build faith, encourage, and comfort them. Now, how many of you remember the story of Peter right before the, uh, the crucifixion? This is in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. Now, this may not seem like an encouragement or a comfort or build faith, but wait till you see the end of the story. In verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all, to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus replied, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times. That doesn't seem encouraging, does it? Until it is. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 55 through 62, just a little bit further down the chapter. It says, then they arrested Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. And when they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a slave girl, seeing him, as he sat in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man was with him too. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Then a little later, someone also saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour still, another insisted, certainly this man was with him, because he too is a Galilean. But Peter said to him, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he said to him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Again, it doesn't seem encouraging, does it? Oftentimes, God will tell us about our failures beforehand. But it's not because he wants to condemn us, shame us. It's because he knows that when we fail, we will need, have need of restoration. And the Lord himself, not only will he be with us in our failure, he'll be with us in our restoration. John 21, verses 15 through 18 is the, the finale to this story. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's meeting with Peter. After all of this has happened, when Peter is still just, I can't believe all that's taken place. And then suddenly he hears rumor that the Lord has been resurrected and he doesn't believe it until he actually sees the Lord. And then the Lord has come to deal with him. And this is all of us, like it or not. We all are sinners. Not just after we've come to Christ, or before we come to Christ, but even afterwards, we still fail. And yet the Lord loves us and will still restore us even then, so long as we're willing to own it. Let our sin get exposed. John 21, verse 15 through 18 says, when they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these two? He replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, how many of you, uh, how many married couples in the room? Raise your hand. Uh, How many of you, when you're a married couple and your husband's in the room specifically, your wife tells you, she gives you part of the honey-do list, and then a few hours later, she says, hey, did you do this? How many of you like that? (laughs) Am I the only one that gets greatly annoyed? (laughs) Now, imagine, this is kind of what's going on here. He asks him a question. He answered the question, but then he asks it again. So this is my wife every time we watch a movie. She, it'll be my first time watching the movie. And she'll ask a question, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm watching this at the same time you are. <laughs> this is all that's time. So Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Three times he denied him. Three times the Lord restored him. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you led your clo- you tied your clothes around you and went wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up. And, you will, and will bring you where you do not want to go. As in this way, he prophesied about the death of Peter, who would eventually be crucified like the Lord, but upside down, because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. How does a man go from denying his best friend to being willing to be crucified, not just die, but suffer and die? How does that happen? Because... The Lord prophesies to him and builds his faith. Um, My mentor, Jack, and his wife, um, they lost their son, Scott, to a drug-induced suicide. One of the hardest stories I've ever heard, and I still cry every time I hear the story get told. But before this happened, um, they were in a place called Moravian Falls, and in the middle of the night, um, Lisa, his wife, wakes up. And she sees this angel float down through the roof and just to the bed. And it comes up to her and it puts its hands on her cheeks three times and then puts its hand on her head three times. The dream, or it wasn't a dream, it was a literal appearance. But the next day they're wondering what this all meant. And she's processing it with Jack and they didn't know. And it would be uh, months later when, when their son after their son, Scott, died, that they would begin to make sense of all of it. It was the Lord's way of giving them the message. You know, Lisa would be, uh, the enemy was going to attempt to, to, to take away Lisa's mind three times on the head. And the three times on the cheek would be for the, the tears that she would cry. And the Lord, wanting her to know, I will comfort you and I will heal you even of this pain. One of the greatest things God can do is comfort us and encourage us, especially before we even know we need it, because he knows. Um, I was in Wisconsin, and uh, Michael Dean and I were there. Uh, Michael, where are you? I lost you. Hey, in the very back. Um, we were there doing some ministry, prophesying and praying for the sick. And I look at this woman in the room, and I Lord gives me some things for her. And so I stand up and I introduce myself. I ask her her name. And I always do that because I always want to be accountable for what I said. Everybody knows what I said and who I said it to. And so I said, I feel like the Lord showed me that you had a sister who died from a short-term memory issue, either dementia or Alzheimer's, and that you've been terrified that you yourself will come down with this and die from this. And the Lord wants you to know that 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 won't happen. Um, But then secondly, I I feel like you also have um, stenosis of the spine. And I think there may be some healing that God wants to do even now. Well, the woman just breaks down and starts crying because she had lost her sister uh, for this disease and was terrified that she herself would come down with this. And then not only that, she had had four surgeries on her spine for stenosis of the spine. And so I got to pray with her in front of everybody. Now, what do you think if you were hurt? Do you think that would comfort you? you think that would build your faith and encourage you? And this is the thing that God loves to do for his kids. Third reason why God speaks to us today. Um, And I've already touched on this, but to prepare us and his body for suffering and hardship. I know sometimes, like hearing the Lord, everybody's excited about it. They want the angelic visitation, they want the trance and the vision. Um, but I also tell you that getting those things can sometimes mean that there's about, about to be some difficulties coming your way, and God is giving you the faith that you're going to need to fulfill what God has called you to. Um, this is Acts 11, verse 27 through 30. It says, at that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, a man named Agabus, got up and predicted by the Spirit that a severe famine was about to come over the whole inhabited world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. So the disciples, each in accordance with his financial ability, decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They did so, sending their financial aid to the elders of Barnabas and Saul, uh, through Barnabas and Saul. How did they know there would this, be this famine? How did they know to prepare for all of this? Well, God spoke uh, through his servant Agabus so that he could let the people of know, know, let the people of God know what was coming. Later on in Acts chapter 21, you're going to see this series of events come. And it's interesting because what you watch is there's two prophets that actually get something from God, but they misapply it. They get the word wrong. And then Agabus comes and he gets the word right. The first two prophets, they come to Paul and they say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be killed, you're going to suffer. So, and the application, the, the implication is, we, we, obviously, it feels like a warning. Don't go to Jerusalem, right? Now, how many of you know that when you get a word that's, that's like about some impending doom, usually you're like, oh, the Lord has warned me beforehand. In this case, that, that wasn't what was happening. Yet that's how the prophets interpreted it. But Paul said, no, the Lord has already told me I must go to Jerusalem. Two different prophets come to him with this word, and he still makes his way towards Jerusalem until finally a third prophet comes to him. And this time it's Agabus, and here's what he says. Um, He says, while we remained there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says this. This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only to be tied up, but even in, even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because he could not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Um, worst pain in my life happened in 2019, February 2019. Worst betrayal of my life happened in February of 2019. Um, I was working for a church, and my my... Boss, the the main leader of the church, was hurting a lot of people, and so I was confronting him about what I thought were really bad practices. And around this time, but before I, I, I there was an email I was going to send him that was going to lay out all of the things I was watching happen. And it wasn't intended to be malicious. It was just saying, "Hey, look, man, here's what's going on." And then there was one thing that he had done that hurt me that I wanted to bring to his attention. And so. I wrote this email, but before I submitted, I said, Lord, is this the right thing to do? And I hear the Lord say, Michael, if you send this, he's going to fire you. I said, well, what's the right thing to do, God? And then I hear nothing. See, this is the interesting thing. The Lord will let us know about things, but it's in that moment where our faith gets tested. Who do we trust? And so I sent the email. A few weeks later, my wife has a dream. And in the dream, we're invited to this meeting uh, with this leader and several others. And in the dream, they fire me. And my wife was angry and devastated by it. It just felt like such a betrayal. So she tells me the next day, and, and she at the time, she just couldn't see that this could ever happen because we so trusted this leader. And I tell her, she says it, and she goes, I wonder why the Lord gave me this dream. I said, Because I'm going to get fired. And he's letting you know beforehand so that your heart wouldn't grow bitter and cold towards this leader or God. And she was like, No, that won't happen. And I'm like, No, sweetheart, it is most definitely going to happen. Sure enough, February, so that was all at the end of 2018. Okay? February 19th, I get a, well, two weeks, it's like February 3rd or 4th, I can't remember the exact date. I get an email requesting that I show up to this meeting. Uh, where the brand new board that he had appointed wanted to meet with me to work on our problems with one another. He wouldn't be in the meeting. And the reason why is they wanted me to feel safe to share my side of our story. Okay? The day before the meeting, I get an email saying, hey, we don't want to talk about the past. We just want to talk about the future. Well, that's a weird thing. But hey, he wants to work towards reconciliation. That's amazing. We're going to show up to the meeting. So we show up to the meeting, my wife and I, and here's, we've had this word, had this dream, and yet we still go into this meeting expecting good. I mean, like, that was, that was really what we, and that's what made the betrayal all the worse. It's like, it's one thing when you know you're about to be stabbed in the back, it's another when you have no idea. Like, then it's a true betrayal, right? Um, so we go into the meeting, and sure enough, it's, it's uh, we want to launch you into ministry. And I said, okay, well, I thought I was already in ministry, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm like, yeah, well, we really feel like you're called to go and do itinerant ministry. Speak at other churches. I'm like, well, I'm I'm already doing that too. Uh, and they said, well, we think that's what you should be doing full time. I said, okay. And so then they proceed to launch me into ministry, which meant I would no longer be the pastor over my church. They would give me three months of salary, they would continue that salary so that I could have a launching pad. Um and then, uh, and then I would go do full-time itinerant ministry. And I say to the guys, I go, you know, guys, in the real world, they call this getting fired, uh, getting a three-month severance, and then uh, you wanting to contract me afterwards to come in and teach in your schools. And they go, no, no, that's not what this is. I go, no, that's what this is. <laughs> and my wife goes, am I fired too? And they go, what do you mean? She goes, well, I'm the administrator for the church. They go, Oh, we didn't know that. And I'm like, no, of course you didn't know it. You're a brand new board. (laughs) Like none of you even go to my church. Uh, Worst experience of our lives. Okay, three months later, my wife gets diagnosed with melanoma. (laughs) Find out that they canceled my medical insurance too. (laughs) It was just like the worst thing you could ever experience. Now, here's the thing. I can laugh about it today, like the Lord has done so much redemptive work in my life. But I tell you, it was the most painful season of my entire life. The crazy thing about when you leave a church that's this toxic is you feel every phone call that never came. The silence of all of those who were your friends is deafening. And then my wife comes down with cancer. I have a six-month-old baby girl and a two-year-old son. And for the next six months, I just took care of my family. I didn't know where the money would come from. We were underpaid for years, so I had no money. And, uh, and I learned in that season, like God was always with me. I never blamed God. I was very fortunate because he told me about it all beforehand. And I tell you, sometimes in life, Pleasing God doesn't mean getting the prophetic words. It doesn't mean healing the sick. It doesn't mean evangelizing. Heck, it doesn't mean reading your Bible and praying faithfully. Sometimes pleasing God just simply means getting one foot in front of the next. Sincerely. I learned in that day that, that pleasing God just meant doing the things I had to do because I, I was so swallowed up in darkness and pain, and that's what I had to do. And God, in that place, got me out of it. And here's the crazy thing. Uh, that year, I had seven different prophets, some of whom didn't know me from Adam, reach out to me. They said, uh, oh, this was the thing that, that really killed me, is when, when I got fired, they, they hosted a meeting for my church where they invited all of the leaders and, and, and big tithers uh, <laughs> to a meeting. And they said, uh, well, uh, Michael isn't going to be the pastor of the church uh, we, we tried to kick the bird out of the nest, and he was offended, and he left the church. Yeah. So I, I, the, th- the crazy thing is when I got fired, I had to leave three days later for a mission trip. And so I come back, and the day I fly back is the day they have this meeting with all the leaders. So it was like the timing to spin the narrative was perfect for them because I was going to be gone. There was nothing I can do. And I just didn't talk. I was so in shock And so when I found that out, I was so hurt by that. Those words just kick the bird out of the nest. Like, you think that's a good thing to do? Like, that that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, So seven different prophets over the next year come up up to me, uh, and they say these words. uh, Michael, God is kicking you out of the nest. One of them, who knew I had been fired, says to me, Michael, God is kicking you out of the nest. You were too faithful, and you would have never left. All seven prophets said the exact same words, though. God is kicking you out of the nest. It suddenly was like Joseph, right? What you intended for evil, what you did that was evil, God intended for good. None of this pain surprised God, and in fact, he was going to use it to do something in me that would have never happened had I stayed. I tell you, I worst pain in my life, also the best thing that could have ever happened to me. My mentor used to say this. He said, "I've had pain that I never deserved. I've never had pain that I didn't need." Now, many of us we think like when we come to Christ, it means like you know. Uh, raindrops, and sunlight, and uh, lollipops, and (laughs) that's what we think the Christian life is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Christian life doesn't mean a pain-free life. The Christian life is actually riddled with pain, but with a God who brings meaning to it and is with you in the midst of it. I'm telling you, there is not a single tear that you will shed that God cannot redeem if you'll just hang with him. And I've watched him do this in my life. And how did he comfort me? How was he with me in the midst of it? Through prophecy. He prepares us for suffering. I'm also, I would say, a better person and a better pastor because of what I went through. All right. Another reason God speaks to us today. To give us direction when we don't know what to do next. James 1 says, I, I'm going to quote a good chunk of the chapter just because it, it's helpful to know the context. In James 1, he, he writes the letter and he says, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. That's a very interesting greeting. It's the only greeting in all of the epistles that are written that way. Why does he greet that way? Because this is a persecuted people who have quite literally been separated from one another. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, Greetings he says, James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ to these 12 tribes, consider it, all bro- uh, consider it all joy, brothers, when you suffer trials of various kinds, knowing that the test of your faith will produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result in you so that you might be made perfect, lacking in nothing. Like I said, I've had pain I didn't deserve. I've never had pain I didn't need. Trials in life perfect us, whether we realize it or not. And it's, it was no different for the Lord. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Right. So, so consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result in you, so that you might be made perfect, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, ever been in a, a place in life where you're suffering and you don't know what to do next? If any of you lack wisdom, you don't know what to do, Wisdom just simply means skill at living life. You find yourself at a crossroads, you don't know whether to go left or to go right. But if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all generously without fault finding, and it will be given to him. I love this. You want to know the goodness of God? There's a promise in Scripture that he will give you wisdom when you're at a crossroads in life. And the beauty of it is he's not going to go through the list of all your sins before he decides whether or not he's going to give it to you. He's not holding your sins against you when it comes to giving you wisdom. Uh, But he says, hey, but you must ask in faith without any doubting. Now, I know some people think that uh, faith without doubting means that that you know God is going to give you the answer. No, that's called word of faith. I don't buy into that. Faith doesn't mean knowing God is going to give you what you're asking for. Faith means when God gives you the direction you're asking for, you're not double-minded deciding whether or not you follow his word or not. I need to say this again because some of us think, well, no, I have to know that I'm going to get it when I pray. No, that's not what it means. It means when he gives you wisdom, don't be double-minded. Right? It says, for the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So when God speaks, trust him and follow him. That's what it means. All right, It doesn't mean you have to know that he's going to give you the answer. Okay, um, I've been at this crossroads several times in life. Uh, we see it also happening in the scriptures. Right, Paul is praying where to go in his next journey. So here's what it says in Acts 16 says, they went through the region of uh, Phrygia. I don't know how to pronounce that. Galatia, having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. How were they prevented? How did they know they couldn't go there? The Holy Spirit prevented them. When they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Pithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do this. This is a Trinitarian passage, isn't it? All right, it's the Holy Spirit. Now it's the Spirit of Jesus. It's the same thing. It's being used synonymously. So then they passed... Uh, or so, So they went down, uh, they passed through Myasia, went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul during the night. A Macedonian man was standing there urging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul saw the vision, and we attempted immediately to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. How did Paul know to go to Macedonia? The Lord gave him wisdom. Don't go here, go here. There's been several times, especially when I was young in ministry, where I didn't have a whole lot of money, and I had a roommate that was getting married, and I'm like, you know, working with a church, and I'm an intern, and I'm like, God, where am I going to live? Like, I don't have money to pay for an apartment myself. I don't make that kind of money. And so I just said, Lord, would you please give me wisdom? And I just sat and prayed for a second and listened. And right then, a picture of somebody popped into my mind, and I, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, they have a, a, a garage apartment that their son used to live in. I said, Well, Lord, if this is you, uh, how much should I pay? I'm like, tell me, if this is you, how much should I pay? And he gave me a, a number, like $150 a month. I thought, like, Nobody pays $150 a month. And I was like, Okay, Lord, let's see what happens. So I call up this uh, family. I said, hey, I was wondering if you guys would be interested in renting out your garage apartment. And and the husband, uh, his name's Reed, said, well, let me pray about it and talk to my wife and and let me get back to you. So they call me up and said, hey, why don't you come over and we want to talk about the arrangement. And so they bring me into the house and they said, look, the, the garage apartment doesn't have any AC, but we have this room upstairs that we can actually put a little partition up so that it gives you a lot of privacy. And nobody's using it. Nobody has used it. Even we have guests. We have other bedrooms for them to stay in. And so we thought you could stay here. And we thought, well, we'd charge you maybe 150 bucks a month so that way you don't feel bad getting food out of the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? You think that was the Lord? Um, One of the things we do at our church when somebody is at a crossroads, we say, hey, uh, we have ministry teams at the front that will pray for you and they'll listen to God on your behalf. So if you're needing direction, if you're at a place where you don't know whether to go left or right, just simply say, I'm looking for direction. Don't tell them anything else and let them pray for you. And so sure enough, we've had people get exactly what they needed to hear. Now, that doesn't always happen exactly like that, but often it does. Uh, and, and let me just be really clear, asking God for wisdom, yes, he will show up that way. Um, but let's also be clear, if the wisdom is already explicitly spelled in scripture, follow that. You don't need a word for everything, okay? Um, I remember there's a, a couple that was um, come, come up to me and they're saying, um, I'm going to give you my final reason, but this reason is also going to incorporate the last one as well. The time when they need wisdom. Uh, My final reason, and again, this is not all the reasons God speaks to us, but he speaks to us because he loves his kids. I mean, imagine this. If you got married and uh, on your honeymoon, you said, "Uh, sweetheart, um, here's this book. It's going to tell you everything you need to know about me. All right, enjoy your relationship with me. And then you walk away. (laughs) But that doesn't make any sense, does it? And God hasn't left us that way either. Yes, he's given us this book so we can know about him and know about righteousness and know know about how to be redeemed and know him. But he also has a life-giving relationship that is an invitation for all of us. Um, this couple comes up to me at church. This is years ago. I have to wrap this up because I have to go to the airport. And uh, they said, we're, we're looking for direction. That's my cue at my church, Right? All right, don't tell me anything else. I'm going to pray. I said, Lord, what are they looking for direction for? And a thought comes into my mind. Just a thought, not a big booming voice from heaven. God didn't speak audibly. The clouds didn't part. Lightning didn't strike. Um, smoke didn't fill the church. I don't know, a lot more of these. Uh, and I just a thought, they're thinking of changing the school their daughter goes to. That's pretty specific, don't you think? I said, Lord, if that's if I'm wrong, I'm going to look like an idiot. I said, is that really you? Of course, don't hear anything. All right. So I look at him and I said, "Um, are you thinking of changing the school your daughter goes to? And they both nod their heads and they say, yes. And then they start to cry. And here's the crazy thing. God didn't tell me what they were supposed to do. The wisdom didn't come, did it? Um, So I I asked them more. I said, what's going on? And they tell me how their daughter had a learning disability, and she wasn't able to pass the state standardized test in a particular uh, area of education. And so they needed to get her some extra help, and the night before church, they, they talked to her about pulling her out of school and taking her over to another school where she could get the extra help that she needed, and she was so upset. Like, I'm just dumb. Every All of my friends are going to think I'm stupid. Nobody's going to want to be friends with any, me anymore. I'm going to have to make all new friends at this other school. I mean, how many of you parents know when your kid is going through something like that, that's just gut-wrenching? And here's the crazy part. Sometimes we don't need to know the answer. We just simply need to know that God knows. And that's what they needed. Uh, and I, I just said, well, God didn't tell me what to do, but it's clear that he knows. And if he knows, he cares about it way more than you do. And so whatever decision you make, I'm sure that God is going to be in that decision as well. And isn't that all of us? We hit this time in life where all we need to know is that God sees us, he knows what's going on, and it's just another way for him to show us that he loves us and cares about us. I found oftentimes that that God will seemingly point out insignificant details about other people's lives. Why? Because if he cares about that insignificant thing, how much more does he care about the more important matters of life? And so don't be surprised when God speaks to you for someone else and the detail seems unimportant. I'm like, God, why are you showing me this? Because if he knows that little thing, how much more are the more important things? So my encouragement this morning is desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Add that to your normal prayer routine. Lord, would you speak to me? When you show up to church on a Sunday, don't just show up to church. Show up with a gift to give away. Pray for people in your community. Say, Lord, is there anything you would say to me that might bring them encouragement? Don't come with a condemning word. Come with God's Faith, come with God's encouragement, come with God's comfort, come with a gift of healing, come with a miraculous work, but bring your gift to the church to serve one another and build the faith of the local body. Here's the thing about uh, being a part of a local community. If you're not here, then neither is your gift. And there is no such thing as a giftless Christian. God has sovereignly given all of us gifts So use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, especially that you may prophesy. Amen? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.